say yes, Lord, today. Yes, Lord. You know, the day's coming soon. Jesus Christ is indeed going to return for us. You know, we talk quite often about the second coming of Jesus and the return of the Lord, and it is with a doubt, no doubt about it, without a doubt. We're living in the last days. However, I, I do believe that there is still time for us to be on this earth. And here's why. Because the Bible teaches us that he won't return until every person has heard the gospel. Amen? And if you look at statistics today, do you realize there are almost 3 billion people with a B that live in places that have yet to hear the gospel? I know you're thinking, Pastor, it's how, how, how much longer can we stay here? I don't know, but listen, there's still work to be done. And while I believe he's coming soon, I believe there's still time because there's people that need to hear the gospel. It is not his will that any man should perish, but that all should come to know the love of Jesus Christ. So we must be about the Father's business. Amen? We must be busy, not busy bodies. God help me. We don't need busy bodies. We need, uh, we need people to be busy about the Father's business and telling people that Jesus Christ loves them and has an amazing plan for their lives. Pastor Tony, thank you today. What a wonderful, wonderful expression of worship from our singers and our choir today. I want you to stand with me and reach for your Bibles, please, if you don't mind. I know you just got seated, but I'm just going to ask you to reach for your Bibles. Stand with me today. We're going to go to the book of Judges. I'm going to read one, one verse of Scripture to you today. Judges chapter 3. I'll give you a chance to turn in your Bibles or turn on your electronic devices and find the passage of Scripture. Or to look over and cheat off of your neighbor. I hear pages turning. I probably see fingers sliding on your iPhone or iPad or whatever you have. If you found it, say amen. Judges chapter 3, verse 31. should be coming up behind me on the screen. And here's what the Bible says. After him was Shamgar. Everybody say Shamgar. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. After him, after another judge, another deliverer that God had raised up, there was a man by the name of Shamgar that came onto the scene at a very critical and crucial hour. And God used this man to bring victory. I want to take a few moments today and I want to preach on this thought, the Shamgar spirit. The Samgar Spirit. Father, bless the Word today. God, there's power in the Word this morning. God, bless the preaching of the Word today. God, there's power in the preached Word. And God, I ask you to touch me today, your servant, Father. And I realize today, God, that I am nothing without your help. I am nothing without your touch today, God. I cannot communicate effectively if you don't touch me and help me. Doesn't matter how much I study, God, how much I pray or anything else. If you don't show up and touch me, God, I can't do today what you've asked me to do. So I ask you one more time to touch me and help me preach today in a way that is easy and that is effective. Father, touch the ears of people to hear. 
Touch the hearts of people to receive. Touch the eyes of people to see today, God. And may we leave here with a word deep in our souls that challenges us and changes us. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated today, Pastor Tony. Thank you. The Word of God, the Bible, is full of ordinary men and women. Ordinary, faith-filled, odds-defying, risk-taking men and women who did extraordinary things for God. Such is the case of this man that I just read to you by the name of Shamgar. Everybody say Shamgar. At first glance, he appears to be nothing more than a biblical footnote who shows up in one book, in one chapter, and in one verse of the Bible. But that one verse that is written about this man named Shamgar speaks volumes to us. Other than the name of his father, not much is known about Shamgar. I've researched, I've looked at commentaries, I've studied, and there's just not a whole lot we know besides the 31st verse of the third chapter of Judges that tells us about Shamgar. But what we do know about him is that God single-handedly used this one man to bring deliverance to the Israelites from the Philistines. Now, the book of Judges is a very interesting book of the Bible. It covers a period of some 400 years. And it details for us Israel and their continuing quest of the promised land that God had given them. Territory that had yet to be claimed was occupied by pagan nations, Brother Turpin, that had to be driven out if they were going to enjoy everything that God had for them. But because of their disobedience, because of Israel's unfaithfulness, they were unable to do that. The very people that they should have driven out of the land are the very people that they formed alliances with. They married their women. They served their gods. And because of that, God's anger was aroused against them, and God would raise up what the Bible calls oppressors to punish them and to get their attention, and it would be a result of their decision to transgress the law of God. And while we understand that God is indeed a merciful loving, gracious, kind, and compassionate God. He never has and he never will turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to people who sin. There is always a consequence for sin. Paul taught us that the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. He would write to the church at Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, Be not deceived, he said, for God is not mocked. That whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. If he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. But if he sows to the flesh, he will reap destruction. And the children of Israel, year after year after year, 
made a decision to turn their backs against God. And when they would do that, God would raise up oppressors. And when that would happen, Israel would grow desperate after living in a time of oppression and, and struggling against their enemies. And they would cry out to God and they would repent and they would, re would return to God. And God in his mercy and his grace would, would raise up people like Gideon and Deborah and a man by the name of Ehud. And then a man by the name of Shamgar to, to come onto the scene and bring deliverance to them. And when they would turn their hearts back to God and they would repent, they would enter into a time of rest and peace and prosperity in the land. And this cycle went on year after year after year. They would sin and God would send an oppressor or send people to punish them. They'd get desperate and say, oh God, we're sorry. And God would have grace and would have mercy. On one particular occasion, the Philistines, the arch rival of the Israelites, caused them more grief than probably any other group in Scripture has been sent to oppress them. As a matter of fact, there are 600 Philistines that are coming to wreak havoc upon the children of Israel. And God raises up a man by the name of Shamgar. Somebody say Shamgar. A man by the name of Shamgar to bring victory to the Israelites. He came on the scene at a very crucial and very critical hour in the history of Israel. It was a time of great fear in Israel. Travel had, had, had come to a screeching halt. Nobody was using the, the highways or the, or the roads to, to go out and about for fear of being robbed or killed by the Philistines. It was a time of, of chaos where, where commerce had come to a, to, 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 to a, to a halt. Had, had become very disrupted. Government had come to a standstill because of the Philistines and what they were doing. It was a time of, of great vulnerability. The Israelites were very susceptible to an attack from the Philistines because they did not have the proper weapons to fight because the Philistines had, had put such a tight monopoly on the melting iron that was used to make weapons that were formidable and effective. So the Israelites had been reduced to using farm tools to fight the Philistines. And in spite of all of that, there is this man by the name of Shamgar who steps up with courage. He steps out in faith and he steps in with confidence. And he faces that Philistine army. This was a man who was willing, when nobody else was, to take a risk. And here's a truth that I want you to understand with me today. That if we're ever going to do anything great for God, we're going to have to be willing to take a risk. Because where there is no risk, there is no reward. Listen, I want to tell you today, it is worth the risk. If you're sitting in here and you don't have a relationship with Christ. It is worth the risk to give your heart and your life to Jesus and to sell out and to live for Him all the days of your life. I am proof positive of the fact it's worth the risk to serve Jesus. It is worth the risk to look that person in the face who has wounded you and who has hurt you, has drugged your name through the mud and lied on you and lied about you and to look them in the face and say, with the help of God, I forgive you. It's worth the risk to apply for that job that you feel underqualified for. 
And other people who are ahead of you have a much more impressive resume. It's worth the risk to apply for that job and to put your application in. It's worth the risk to look at your spouse and say, listen, our marriage has hit a tough spot and things are not good. I think we ought to go and talk to somebody and save our marriage. It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk to surrender your hopes and your dreams that you have and give them to God and go somewhere with God and do something for God that might go against what you think you want to do and it goes against how you thought life would pan out. It's always worth the risk when you factor God in the equation. Samgar was a risk taker. He was full of faith. He was an odds-defying, faith-filled risk taker that said, I want to do something great for God that matters. Let me take just a few moments this morning. Just unpack for you just one verse because you can't find anything else about him. Let me take this one verse and give you a couple of points today. What was it about the Samgar spirit That is so intriguing and so powerful. Number one, Shamgar was willing to do what others would not. Here's what Shamgar was willing to do. Shamgar was willing to face his fears. The Bible does not tell us that Shamgar was afraid. But common sense tells me that this man, without a doubt, was dealing with some fear. I mean, you've got 600 trained men from an army that are coming to fight one man who has no effective military weaponry. That in itself is enough to strike fear in the strongest of hearts. But when I read this one verse, you won't find anything else about him anywhere else in the Bible. When I read this one verse that gives us a brief description of this one scene, I don't read anywhere of anyone else that day who was willing to step up to the plate and say, I will fight the Philistines. It's the same spirit that we will read about later on in the book of Samuel when Goliath stood down there in a valley belching out and bellowing out blasphemies against the God of Israel. And while all of Israel's army were hunkered down in their tent, there came a red-headed, freckled-faced shepherd boy with sheep dung under his fingernails and didn't have the qualifications and didn't have the resume and didn't really have the pedigree, but said, I will stand up and I will fight. Who is this man to talk against my God and defy my God and with confidence in his voice and a swagger in his step and shoulders held back? He said, you come to me with a sword and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And this day, the same God that has sent me out to face you. It's the same God that will deliver you into my hands. I'm telling you, it's that spirit that will look at things that are bigger than us and stronger than us and more formidable than us and say that if God is for me, who can be against me? It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. But there is a Sam Gar spirit that resides on the inside of us that says, come hell or high water, I'm going to fight And I know that if God goes with me, I cannot and I will not lose. Come on and praise him if you're glad about that today.
Well, nobody else would step up, Samgar did. And I have to believe, Brother Turpin, he was a little bit afraid. Matter of fact, I have to believe he was a lot afraid. Theodore Roosevelt one time said that the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not sure I completely agree with that because it's not fear that we're afraid of. But when you look at things that are bigger than you and stronger than you, the natural tendency that we have is fear. And it's not the fear we're afraid of. It's afraid of what our eyes can see that says this is a whole lot bigger than you. You're not qualified. You can't do this. There's no way that you can win. But in spite of what we feel and in spite of what we see, we face the challenge. We fight for victory. We forge ahead. I want to tell somebody today that you don't have to be afraid. Yes, it cannot be done in your own strength and in your own power, but it can be done with the power of God himself. Isaiah 41 and 10, God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I hear the Apostle Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I hear John in 1 John 4 and 18 tell us that perfect love casts out all fear. I hear the words of the psalmist David in Psalm 56 and 3 that says, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. I will not fear what man can do unto me. And then in Psalm 121 David would write some of the, my favorite words of scripture. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. He shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. He concludes verse 8 by saying he shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. You don't have to be afraid. There's a spirit that resides on the inside of you that says, I don't have to walk in fear, but I can walk in faith because I know that God can and will, and he's able to help me if you're glad about that today. Come on and praise the Lord. <laughs> Secondly, he was willing to face the possibility of failure. Do you realize that I don't read one time in verse 31 where God ever gave him the guarantee or even a promise of victory or even success for that matter. Do you realize when he bent down, and I'm going to talk about this in just a moment, and picked up an ox goad? I don't read one place here that God said, Samgar, you've got this. I'm going to take care of it. Victory is yours. I don't read that. I don't read of anywhere where God sent the priests with a linen ephod that they would wear to communicate with God and get a word from God for the people. The priest didn't show up to tell Samgar, listen, thus saith the word of the Lord, you've got you, victory is yours. And I don't read that anywhere. Possibility, the possibility of failure in Samgar's mind at least was real that day. And here's why. The odds were stacked against him. You've got 600 trained Military men 
going to fight a farmer. Samgar was not a fighter. Samgar was a farmer. And the only thing that Samgar had at his disposal was an ox goad. Remember, they didn't have any weapons. The Philistines had all the weapons. They had the monopoly on the melting iron. They had every weapon that you could possibly think of to fight a battle with. And here comes 600 men. I promise you when I get to heaven, if I think about it, I'm going to find Shamgar. And I'm going to say, Shamgar, there's one verse of Scripture in the book of Judges, but there has to be more to this story. Please tell me everything that went on that day. I'm going to go over to his mansion in heaven. I'm going to sit down and have lunch. Say, Shamgar, tell me all about the 600 Philistines and the ox goat. And Brother Turpin said, he's going to go with me. An ox goat, an eight-foot-long piece of wood. On the end of that piece of wood was this sharp point that the farmer would use to prod the ox in the backside that's a very diplomatic term for the backside. <laughs> I thought about it, but it's podcasting, so we'll just call it a backside. The only other word I was going to use was butt, so I don't want to think of anything else. So here we go. So he, <laughs> he takes, I don't want to start thinking, what kind of words are you going to use? Why do y'all want to think like that for? So he takes this eight-foot-long piece of wood, this sharp this sharp point on the end is what it was used for. They would, they would prod the ox forward to get the plow moving. On the other end of that ox goad was this iron scepter that they would use to beat the dirt off of the plowshare. That's all he had. I mean, look at him. He is an underdog of underdogs. I mean, if there, were, if there were bets going down in Vegas and the point spread, it was the Philistines by a landslide. He's outnumbered. It's 600. To, anybody want to fight 600 people by yourself? For that matter, anybody want to fight two or three people by yourself? It's 600 to one. It's trained military men, fighters versus farmers. It's men that have had training against a man who's been working in the fields. And the possibility that day in Samgar's mind was failure. See, here's the benefit we have. We get to read it after the fact. We get to read the end of the story. We, we know how it turns out. So it's easy for me to preach and you to say, amen, pastor, that's right. But I wasn't standing and you weren't standing in that field that day. When like a swarm of locusts, 600 men start cresting that hill. I'm, what I want to find out is where is the rest of the Israelites at? They're gone. They're hiding somewhere. But there was something about Samgar that said, fail or not, I'm just not going to sit back here and let this happen. And he bends down and the first thing he can find is an ox goat. And he stands there and here come the Philistines. Here's what I want you to know. You'll never know what 
God can do if you're not willing to at least bend down and pick up whatever it is near you and say, God, I'm outnumbered, I'm outtrained, I'm overmatched, I'm outmanned, but God, if you will help me, I'll step out and I'll see what you can do in every place I read in Scripture where there's a man or a woman that is full of faith that'll say, God, here I am, use me. God has never one time and God will never fail you and God will never disappoint you and God will never let you down it is not by might it is not by power but it is by the spirit of the Lord my Lord and God let the Sam Gar spirit today possess your heart and say God here am I I'll go and I'll fight today hallelujah Willing to face the possibility of failure. Thirdly, he was willing to face the risk of looking foolish. Now, can you imagine if this story had turned out another way? I mean, he was willing to face the risk of looking foolish, first of all, in front of his people. And even though they may not have been there to help him, they were still around. They knew what was going on, I think. And he was willing to face the risk of looking foolish in front of the enemy. I mean, can you imagine? Had those 600 men come and just slaughtered him and left him there in cold blood? His, his carcass just laying there, just dead? Can you imagine what the people, his own people, would have, you imagine what they would have felt if they looked at that and said, well, you know, at least he tried, but there lies Shamgar. I mean, can you imagine the mockery and the ridicule and the scorn that the Philistines would have heaped up on his people had this battle turned out differently? You see, it is the fear. Everybody say fear. fear. It is the fear of looking foolish in people's eyes that keep us from doing what we know is right to do and doing what we know God has asked us to do. Because, see, we have gotten to a place in our lives that we care way too much about what people are going to say or think if we step out in faith and do what God has asked us to do. <clears throat> are you here today? I hope I'm helping you. And we have become more afraid of man than we have of God. I'm not talking about a fear of God that makes us hide, but a, a reverence and an awe of God. If I don't do what you said, the consequences are going to be grave. And I just have had to get to a place in my life. While I care about people, and I care deeply about people, and you know, you're easy to care about and you're easy to love. I mean, listen, today, I, I even put it on Facebook. It's the small things that you do. I mean, I got this bag today, and inside the bag, Tony, it's this glass, it's this redskin glass, tall redskin glass. Now, don't be saying nothing. No, I don't want to hear, we're not talking sports today. <clears throat> but inside the glass is my favorite candy. It's full of those little caramel cream, that little white thing in the middle of what I'm talking about. Now, you stay away. <clears throat> He's about to shout over here. And I pulled out of the bag, and I'm in my office, and I mean, I already had breakfast, but I mean, I ate about four or five of them things before I came out. It's the little things. Thank you, Sister D. Hart, by the way. I appreciate that. What a, what a kind lady. And I give her a fit and mess with her, and she's still good to me and still loves me in spite of that. 
And it's the little things you do <clears throat> that make me love you and make me care about you. But listen, I've gotten to a place in my life when it comes to what God says, I don't care what people think. I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. And I'm going to tell you, if you live in the fear of man, you'll never do anything for God. Anything of consequence or anything of greatness. And he, he took that risk. And it's the fear of looking foolish. And here's what I believe. I think that if you are afraid of looking foolish and you care more about looking foolish in people's eyes, I think that's pretty foolish. Well, that was deep, wasn't it? That was profound. The very essence of faith is the risk of looking foolish in people's eyes. Step out and do what God has asked us to do. Listen, I believe I'm helping somebody. Today. The Lord just dropped this word in my heart to share with you. Listen, I bet Noah looked pretty foolish building a boat in the middle of the desert, didn't he? I mean, they hadn't seen rain in years. And Noah's building, he ain't just, he's not just building a boat. He's building an ark. I mean, you've got decks on this thing, stories on this thing, and there's not rain to be found in the middle of a desert a man's building a boat. How much more foolish can you get? I'd say Sarah looked pretty foolish. At 90 years of age and her 100-year-old husband out shopping for maternity clothes. I mean, can you imagine? i got to hurry. Can you imagine today some 90-year-old granny walking into the maternity store and say, I'm expecting and I need some clothes. Are you kidding me? I'd say she looked pretty foolish, don't you? I'd say that Joshua and the children of Israel, as they marched around the walls of Jericho. I mean formidable walls. I don't have time to tell you the detail and the history of those walls, but so big and so large were those walls that you could build, people built their homes on top of those walls. And the victory strategy God gives is just march around once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, seven times. And on that final time, I want you to lift up your voice and shout with a great shout and tell the priest to sound the alarm and to blow the trumpet. And when they do, the walls are going to fall down. Really, God, seriously. I'd say they look pretty foolish all night. They're just shouting and yelling at the top of their voice and waiting for the walls to come down. But that's exactly what happened. I'd say David looked pretty foolish standing in front of some historians. Tell us Goliath was 10 feet and 4 inches tall. And he's a teenage shepherd boy. I'd say he looked pretty foolish out there in that valley looking at him. I'd say Peter probably looked pretty foolish getting out of a boat, a stormy sea all around him, and saying, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, Peter, it is me. Come on. And he gets, puts one foot out of the boat, the other foot out, and guess what Peter's doing? He's walking on water until he takes his eyes off of Jesus and looks at everything around him, and then he begins to sing, what I'm trying to tell you is that God may be stirring. Lord, I feel this. God may be stirring your heart to do something. God may be stirring your heart to go somewhere. God may 
be stirring your heart to reach out to somebody. Don't worry about what it looks like all around you. Don't worry about what the doubters and the skeptics and the naysayers and the critics may say. But if you've got a word from God, if you've got a promise from God, if you've got confidence in your heart, if you've got faith in your soul, you'll let that Sam Gar spirit rise up on the inside of you and say, God, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what my family says. I know what you've called me to do, God. I'll step out in faith and I'll do it. And God will honor that step of faith. So he was willing to do what others would not. He was willing to face his fears, face the possibility of failure, and face looking foolish in front of his people and the enemy. Here's the last point about the Shamgar spirit. He didn't let what he couldn't do keep him from what he could do. Did you hear that? He didn't let what he couldn't do keep him from what he could do. Listen, he didn't have the military weaponry he needed. He didn't have anybody to help him. He didn't have the training. There's a lot of things that Shamgar couldn't do. But he didn't let what he couldn't do keep him from what he could do. Shamgar had a seize the moment. He had this seize the, the day. That, that Latin phrase, carpe diem, seize the day, seize the moment, strike while the iron is hot. He had that mentality. And if, listen, Pastor Tony, come, come help me land this, please, sir. If you, if you sit and stand around waiting for perfect conditions to seize that God-ordained opportunity, you'll be sitting around to the day you die. If you wait for everything to be absolutely perfect, you'll be sitting around to the day you die. Brother Stout, I've never heard of a perfect situation. Well, there's folks that talk about it's a perfect scenario, it's a perfect setup, it's a perfect situation. But once you get there, you're going to find there's nothing perfect because when people are involved, it makes everything imperfect because we're imperfect people. I mean, it's, it's the perfect opportunity. And while it may be a perfect opportunity, it's going to come with some challenges. It's going to come with some obstacles. Samgar had a yeah, that seize the moment mentality. He understood that he could not afford to let this moment pass him by. Because I'm telling you, it's been said, and I believe it's true, opportunity doesn't always knock, but about one time. And he understood if I, if I let this moment bypass me now, it's going to be detrimental to my people. And there are some of you here today, I believe this with all of my heart based on what I sense the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me this week. There are some God-ordained opportunities and there's some things that God has laid out in front of you. And if you don't seize the moment now and take the opportunity now, it might not come back around again a second time. Leonard Ravenhill, great author, great evangelist, so the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. 
Within every opportunity, there's a window of time. There's a, there's a lifetime that that opportunity holds. And if you miss it, you'll miss what God wants to do. Because listen, ultimately our destiny is determined by whether or not we seize those God-ordained opportunities. And I know what you're saying, Pastor, you just don't know. You don't know the fear. You don't know the trepidation that I have. You, you don't know the risk that's involved. Pastor, if God would just, if he would just paint the picture and show me the end result, that takes the element of faith out. And most opportunities that come along, they're going to come with some fear and it's going to come with some risk. Listen, Shamgar took a huge risk that day when he picked up that ox goad and said, I'll take 600 men on. He literally risked his life that day. <clears throat> Do you think for a moment that Shamgar had a sense of comfort when he picked up that ox goat and saw 600 men coming to fight? You know what people say, well, you know, the Lord just wants me to be comfortable. That is the biggest bunch of baloney, for lack of a better term. God is a whole lot more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. That's, that's tweetable right there. That's a, you could Facebook that. He's a lot more concerned about you. And we could use that for a hashtag. He's a lot more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. Well, Pastor, it's, you know, if, if I do this, then you know, it's, just, it's just not my comfort zone. And there'll be sacrifices I'll have to make. Well, listen, you want, you want God to use you? You want to be in the place of God's divine will for your life? Here's what I want to leave you with today. We're going to come pray in just a moment. No excuses. Listen, when I read that 31st verse, Shamgar didn't offer one excuse as to why he couldn't do it. Do you read anywhere where he offered an excuse? I don't see anything. I don't hear Shamgar say, now, Lord, I don't have the right weapons. He never said it. I don't hear Shamgar say, now, now God, you know I'm outnumbered 600 to 1. I didn't hear him say that. I didn't hear him say now, God, I'm a farmer. I'm not a fighter. I, I didn't hear him say that. What excuses are holding you back from doing what God wants you to do? You know what some folks will say? Say, Pastor, I'm, I'm too busy. Uh, Pastor, I don't, I don't have enough money. Uh, Pastor, I have too many problems. Join the club. Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm underqualified for that. Pastor, I'm overqualified for that. Uh, I, Pastor, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm, I'm too scared. Listen, lay the excuses down. Put the excuses aside. And step out and take a risk today and say, God, I want that Shamgar spirit. Whatever it is you want me to do, wherever it is you want me to go, God, I, I want to be like Shamgar. And I'm going to tell you, at the end of your life, you're not going to regret the mistakes that you made nearly as much as the opportunities that you missed. I hope somebody's getting this today. I believe the Lord's speaking to somebody's heart in here. You're not going to regret the mistakes you've made nearly as much as the opportunities you've missed. And if you never step out and you never take the risk, you never operate in faith, you'll never know what God can do. I mean, Paul was a killer of Christians. He murdered innocent Christian people. Moses, Moses couldn't even talk clear.
earlier. He had a speech impediment. David. Do we need to talk about David, the man after God's own heart, the shepherd boy, the giant killer, the king? Was an adulterer and a murderer. Not just one or the other, but both. The little boys lunched that day on that Judean hillside. It was way too small to feed a crowd of 5,000 people or so he thought and all the rest of the disciples thought. But when you take, listen, when you take what's in your hands, what you have, and you give it to God, Come on. if you'll transfer it, he'll transform it. If you'll take what you have and say, God, here it is. I transfer it. And whatever is transferred, when it gets into the hands of the master, it becomes transformed. And five loaves and two fish that day. And listen, it wasn't five big loaves like you think. These big old, nice, heaping, sourdough rolls of uh, uh, loaves of bread and these two huge, large mouth bass. And I saw you caught one on Facebook the other day. Facebook tells everything about you people. You know that, don't you? I know where you go. I know what you eat and who you hang out with. Listen, some people are even crazy enough to put what they do, even when it's wrong. I mean, I've never understood that. It just boggles my mind. Another time, another place, another sermon, another story. But it was, they say, five little small crackers, more than likely, the size of, and and more more than likely, historians tell us it was two fish, probably the size of sardines. His mama didn't pack that lunch that day expecting that he was going to have to help feed 5,000 people. I wasn't even planning on stopping at the store, but I just feel the Holy Spirit gripping my heart for just a moment. She didn't pack that lunch that day for that boy and 5,000 people, did she? It was his lunch. He needed a lunch, a little boy, five loaves, maybe bigger than crackers, two fish, maybe bigger than sardines, but not much, they say. He left the house that day and had every intention of that being his lunch, but he had no idea that within his hands he was holding the means to a miracle. Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. I don't know if some of you realize that you hold within your hands the means to a miracle, and God just wants you to say, here it is, Lord, I give it to you. Use it for your honor. Use it for your glory. What you're doing may seem very insignificant right now. You may be at a place saying, Pastor, how in the world can I make a difference where I'm at? I'm telling you, little is much when God is in it. Come on. And there's people every day, Lord, I feel this. I need to help encourage somebody. I'm done preaching. So if you were telling me preaching is done, I'm going into edifying and encouraging somebody right now. Every day people get up and they go into what they feel like is an insignificant place and they work and they, they, punch, the, they punch the clock and they put their eight hours in and they walk back out and they go home and go through the same thing and you think, my God, I'm not doing anything to make a difference. You have no idea that God might just be waiting to use you to do something significant to somebody and in somebody's life. You realize that school teachers, I have great appreciation and respect. We've got some teachers in here. I have great appreciation and respect for public educators. They are the most underappreciated and underpaid people, some of the most underappreciated and underpaid people that live in this country. And I don't need brownie points with anybody here that's a teacher. I'm just telling you the facts. And they walk into classrooms every day and teach math and science and social studies and reading and writing and arithmetic and everything else. The three R's, that's all you need to get through school, reading, writing, arithmetic. 
and probably feels like, am I doing anything to make a difference? But I'm telling you, I believe that God has placed spirit-filled, God-honoring, God-fearing Christian men and women in the classroom. Yes, they've got to teach principles, and yes, they've got to teach concepts, and yes, they've got to teach whatever the, the curriculum calls for. But here's what I pray for my kids' teachers every day. God, I want you to anoint those men and those women. I've got a, I've got a printout of my kids' teachers by their name. I call their name out and say, God, don't just let them teach the, 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 the curriculum, but God, let them be carriers of hope for those students. No, they can't say the name of Jesus. No, they can't pray in that school system, but yes, they can carry the love of Jesus Christ, and they can speak hope, and they can speak life, and they can look at little Johnny, look at little Sally, and say, you can do it. You're making a difference. You're going to do something great with your life. What I'm trying to tell somebody is, don't despise where you are. Don't despise what you're doing. God may have you in a place right now to do something that you can't even begin to think or imagine or dream, just like Samgar, and, and so to speak, pick up the ox code and say, God, here I am. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. Here's my mouth. Here's my heart. Oh, God, use me right where I am. God, use me. Come on and stand up. Stand up on your feet, please. Hallelujah.